Hi there and welcome to a late, the latest edition sorry, of the GSNet Weekly Podcast, the independent Rangers podcast which is brought to you by Fans for Fans and where the content is absolutely free as a bonus preview episode of the show tonight guys. We're looking at tomorrow's game uh, against Kilmarnock at Ibrox, the first home game of the season. Uh, unfortunately we'll need to take a wee look at Tuesday night as well before we get into that uh, I'm your host tonight, I'm Colin Armstrong As I say every week guys, it's not just a pod we do here at JRSnet If you get yourself onto the website, you'll find the forums, uh, match previews, interviews, all that kind of a thing There's a history on the website as well uh, We would also ask you to subscribe to the YouTube channel and promote the pod on social media Tell your pals we're here uh, get more people involved. Uh, before we get started and before I introduce my, de- uh, my guest for tonight, uh, I need to mention one of our partners, uh, which is Forest Precision Engineering, a subcontract company based, uh, engineering company, sorry, based in Glasgow. They've been a commercial supporter of Rangers Football Club uh, for quite some time. Uh, you can find out more about them at www.forestpreciseng.com. Uh, you can also visit their, uh, they've got a rather uh, swanky suite in the main stand uh, it's fairly new and apparently it's fairly stunning so if you want information on that if you want to give that a wee try uh, you can contact the club uh, via the, the website uh, sorry the web address at hospitality at rangers.co.uk that's easy for me to say uh, now to bring in my guest for tonight uh, and it's Patrick uh, Kasky how are you Patrick? Yeah I'm well thank you uh, it's my first appearance of the season hopefully one of many in a season which sees us wrap up as many titles as possible and break tons of records that's uh, very optimistic given the start but uh, have you had a good week you've been been busy yeah um, I was able to catch Tuesday's game and I wasn't able to obviously go to Livingston away although it looked like there was packed out with fellow Rangers fans so uh, and in the end it seemed a good day out as for the people who traversed their way to Belgium the same can't be said but Leuven looked like a nice place so if we can sort of take some positive from it they had a nice time in Belgium before the football started but I think those are probably some of the the worst 90 minutes we've seen from Rangers since maybe I'd say Sparta Prague uh, about nine months ago, ten months ago. Yeah, I mean, I, 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 I suppose we might as well just get right in about the bones of it. Uh, it was as poor a performance as I can remember for Rangers. It was, you know, really nothing in terms of middle front. Couldn't open them up at all. Couldn't get in between uh, and, and behind the defence. Hardly any chances created, really. Uh, and looked really, really uh, susceptible at the back at times. So, terrible result, really poor performance. I suppose the big question is, Patrick, why did it go so wrong? Because I felt, looking at Gio, like in previous games with Gio, when things haven't been going our way, he's always looked fairly calm as if, okay, and you know, there has been this feeling that, you know, he's had his first pre-season with the players that, you know, I noticed Jordan Campbell and the Athletic saying, you know, there's a feeling that he's had a, a proper chance now to put over his methods and what he's trying to do. And I, I thought he looked really flustered for the first time on, on Tuesday night, Geo. I, I, I thought he looked like he didn't know how, how to change things around. Uh, so why was that? Why did it go so badly wrong? Yeah, I mean, this summer has been one. A lot's been made of both, as you mentioned, Jordan Campbell's article uh, talking about the sort of harmony around the squad and getting that f- first sort of prolonged period of training with his methods, with his people. We've also seen a push to recruitment, which is sort of explicitly to fit his system. We've seen some players leave and, and bring in players with more appropriate profiles. And if this is an indication of what a sort of team that is more coarse to be around his style it's not a great indication, but I don't think that's fair. I think it's a sort of 
know, I think it was probably a, a collective failure from everyone. If you look at the three banks of formation, the five, five, two, three, which is something we've been unfamiliar with, and I was surprised we lined up with, given the fact that the club and the analysts will have done their homework, and uh, knowing that USG aren't really a possession-based system, they like to play on the counter, uh, they play quite wide, but we kind of needed to dominate possession, and even so. We didn't line up to do so with that 5-3-2. We did. I think we had 62% possession, but uh, the actual sort of substantial gains in that possession were nothing. I don't think you can mention really any potential highlights despite having upwards of 40, 45 minutes of possession in our team. I think we had three shots, two successful crosses. Um, we lost the ball. I think this was a crazy thing. 25 times in their, on the right wing in sort of their left back area, which is yeah. bad. It, show, it doesn't show very well from a ton or a tavern but I think it also shouts or, or indicates that we had nothing on our left side. Tillman was playing as our left wing, but he's a central player first and foremost. So he would naturally come central. So we really had nothing on the left. And I think the less said about Barca's performance, the, be- the better. Yeah, that's what I mean. That's what I was to come on to, you know, the comedy of errors, uh, which we've had ourselves tonight. I don't know how the, the <laughs> two characters came from, but, uh, you know, the first goal, I mean, Ryan Jack, I, I thought he had a poor night overall, but, you know, his, his attempted tackle was really poor. Borna, again, for the, the second time this season, susceptible at the goal, a really sort of weak tackle. And I would argue that McLaughlin probably should have stopped it anyway. I know it took a wee deflection, but. It still feels to me that he should have he should have been able to get that. So a real comedy errors and it really set the tone. You know, we never really recovered from that. No, I, I would agree. I think McLaughlin on the night was fine. Um, I think he made some good saves when it was later in the piece, but I don't think there's any qualms with saying he should have saved that. Uh, there's a small deflection, but it's not massive to the extent in which it's like it's just impossible for him to save it. Um, and I think he just pushes it poorly and into the wrong area. But I think that's a common theme. Uh, we can't really only highlight Lam McLaughlin because that would be, be unfair, probably cherry-picking. Although I think you could probably cherry-pick any number of players. I think what we'll see is fans will pick who they don't really like or who they want someone yeah. else to play and look at them as the, as the link to the problem was, which is fair uh, because everyone was bad. So you, you're, you can pick, you can throw a dartboard and have all 11 names. You land on one and you could probably criticise them to the moon and back. Uh, Cholak's getting that a lot. I think that's unfair just because the nature of that, especially that we've had Livingston and USG and we haven't performed well in either. Uh, and people are thinking that's just Cholak who hasn't performed well and picking him out. I know Mark Haley discussed it and I he'll know more than any of us being a fantastic striker. But I personally think it's unfair just because if you were to, let's say, look at Kamara in the last two games, he's been really poor. Uh, it would be naive to think that new players, especially players like Cholak, who come in as, as a number nine, are going to be judged fairly compared to our, other people in our squad. Um, because that's just the nature of people wanting to see new players. And all they've really seen from Cholak has been an undercooked, tepid performance. But that's an indication of the greater team. He's the sort of striker, unlike Morelos, who won't really play very well if the team isn't playing well. Like we've seen Morelos play outstanding when the other 10 players have just been sleepwalking. But Cholak will play well if others play well. It's just the nature of his game. He's more of a receiver. He's a penalty box striker. And he doesn't impose himself much beyond that area of play. So Yeah, I I don't think he's the type to to drop deep, for example, and, and, you know, drag centre-half's out of position. I mean, the, the one that's getting me now is Sporna. I must admit, I'm, I'm kind of at my wit's end. I'm, I'm thinking, it just seems to me that his career at, at Rangers has been gradually on the way down. And, and now he looks vulnerable, if you know what I mean. I, I, and I also think teams are starting to target him. I think they know if he's under pressure, he, he doesn't deal with it very well. And I think, you know, we've conceded three goals in the last two games and he's been 
party to them, you know. So I know what you're saying, people will pick on players because they don't like them kind of thing. I'm not saying I don't like Bonner. He's, I think he's been a good acquisition for Rangers, but over the last eight to ten months, I've, I've kind of gradually uh, sort of lost my patience with him a wee bit. We have, we have to talk about the penalty now. I, I don't think we can say that, that you know, Rangers deserved anything other than to get beat on, on Tuesday night. Uh, but, you know, if, if we win 1-0 on uh, on Thursday or if we win 2-1 or whatever, you know, and that goal becomes the the, the, the sort of deciding factor, then it, it does become a huge moment and it, it, it's farcical. I mean, I don't know about your views on it, Patrick, but how, I mean, I don't know what Conor Goldson's supposed to do. The ball ricochets, uh, Ben Davies that comes off of, you know, he's about a half yard away. And why it went to VAR in the first place, I find staggering. The fact that the people up in VAR said to the referee, you need to have a look at this. That the referee looked at it and decided it was a penalty. That's even worse. But to then book Conor Goldson, I was just like, what's going on here? Uh, an absolute shambles of a decision. And again, it, I mean, I've been going on about it for a long time. It just shows that there is absolutely, VAR doesn't solve anything. I mean, can you imagine if that happened in an old firm game? Yeah, you know, uh, it, it, it was just chaos. No, I think the referees were, uh, especially in that. I think outside of that decision, they were fine, um, which which is good. But that was a comedy of errors, much like uh, many of our sort of chains of possession. But yeah, my thought immediately was, I'm not very very well versed in the handball rules. I saw I hit his hand, and I was like, they're going to give him a penalty. Um, if I was at Ibrox and the opposing team had had that, I would call for it. But then after the fact, people who know a lot more than I do were coming out and saying this is this is blatant within the rule for some substrate of Law 12. It was like this is clearly the fact that uh, if it comes off a teammate and he has his arm extended, it's not a penalty. And obviously we're not expected to know that. I remember talking to my dad uh, when after the game and Kenny Miller and Alan Hutton were talking about it not being a penalty. And I thought they were just saying that. Uh, and they didn't know the rules like me, and they were just saying it because they, that's the antidote what Rangers fans wanted to hear. But they were correct. It's within the rules, and it's an indictment of the fact that this is a Champions League qualifier. There's obviously financial gain and significant financial gain, high jeopardy, and they're unable to get that right. And this is the point of VAR was to sort of correct these these sort of box ticking rules where it's obviously yes or no, uh, and sadly they didn't. Uh, on the, I think there's a, le- a lot less outrage than there would be because on the balance of game, we probably deserve to lose to nil, um, but maybe even more. But yeah, you do talk about how the fact that this could have a far lasting consequence yeah. if we fi- if we win by one goal um, and then we don't f- get extra time because they got that goal, or if we win by two nil, it takes us extra time and, and then we fail to progress. But um, I-, I do think that, that some people will look to the penalty and uh, be frustrated with it as everyone should be. But I think the quicker we can get that out of our minds, the better, because it could just come up as an excuse, um, and a valid excuse there, but it, it's happened and, and we can't change it, even though that was the point of our, but it, it's been a failure. Uh, my, my only hope is that it's never, uh, or the inability to re-referee games never rears its head domestically, but I'm not very excited or, or optimistic on that front. Uh, so in, in terms of Tuesday, you know, given, given the, the level of performance over the last two games, what do you think our chances are? I mean, I have to say, I always look at these Champions League qualifiers as, as tricky anyway, and it always feels like we're playing teams that are already three, four, five games into their season, and, and I think they look like that. They look sharper, they look more on it. Uh, I'm not overly confident for Tuesday, I have to say, given that we don't, we've never overturned a 2-0 first leg deficit. Uh, I just think we look a wee bit off it at the moment, and 
I think they'll come here with a bit of confidence. I'm not saying it's done, absolutely not. But if you were asked, if you asked me where to put my money, I, I would think Rangers are going to be in the Europa League come Wednesday morning. Yeah, I, I think that's completely fair. I still, I don't know if it's sort of delusion, masquerade is optimism. I still, I still think we'll go through, despite all of the sort of numerical and analyst analysis stuff I was doing, which doesn't paint us in a very good light, given the fact that I know that Louv, uh, we played in Louvre in that home, that home leg for USG. Uh, wasn't even at their home, but their points per game away from home was significantly better than their home points per game last year, suggesting they do play well on the road. Um, they were the fifth best home team in Belgium last year, but the best away team. Also, uh, there was well sort of well documented sort of Ibrox inflation last year, where we would sort of salvage the second leg and play so much better at home, which is real. Which is real. Uh, our offensive production was 300 times percent better away from home, no, at home than away from home. And we were 10% better defense at home than we were away. But if you scale our away numbers to home, that still means USG beat us about 2-0, given how bad our performance away from home was. But I do think the fact that this is a team who obviously have a collective sort of spirit. You saw they're kind of akin to Leicester or our growth, if you want to use a domestic example. But I do think that they're, is something to be told the fact that they've probably never played in, in an atmosphere like Ibrox. A lot of these guys are, are journeymen coming from the lower arches of Belgium or, or young guys joining from Brighton or other Belgian teams. So I don't think they've actually been able to experience head-on an atmosphere like Ibrox. But that atmosphere will only be inflamed and intense if we start well, which I think is obviously easy to say that we need to get a goal early. But the ideal scenario is we get a goal in the first 10 minutes, like we did against Braga. And that's sort of the blueprint. We were incredibly tepid against Braga, not as bad as USG, but, but close to being that. But then we turned it around and won 3-1. Um, and hopefully Morales will play a part in it. Uh, he's in the squad tomorrow for Achilles game. I'm sure we'll talk about that later. Um, but especially in Europe, we're a totally different side with him uh, and, and Kent. So those two will hopefully be able to play on Wednesday. But even still, uh, I think I'll just be optimistic because it'll be a bit too sad to think of us going out of the Champions League this early two years in a row. Yeah, yeah, it's pretty grim. Uh, but you never know, we might turn it around. Let's, let's try and be optimistic about it. Uh, before we move on, we'll, we'll go to talk about tomorrow's game. I have to mention our other partners at Zenith Coins. Uh, who produced the official Rangers Club coin. Uh, each gold-plated coin has a unique serial number engraved on the outer rim uh, and comes complete with a presentation box and a certificate of authenticity. Uh, a, a range of uh, famous Rangers supporters, including Alan McCoy, Terry Johnson, Marvin Andrews, uh, Big Ton Stoltman and Gordon Ramsay uh, have all got one of these collections uh, and they've produced a 150th anniversary collection. There's, it's a limited edition set. Uh, there's only 1,872 worldwide. Uh, they've been released in, in small batches throughout the year. Uh, it encompasses five iconic milestones in Rangers history. Uh, their founding fathers, Ibrook Stadium, the Cup Winners Cup win in 72, nine in a row and 55 league titles. So if you want to get yourself on that, guys, go on to www.zenithcoins.com. Right. Uh, Derek McInnes, the manager, uh, a man we know quite a lot about, obviously. You know, he'd, he'd done a few numbers on us when he was Aberdeen manager and obviously he's well loved by the Rangers support. Uh, not uh, so. I mean, there's a lot there tomorrow, you know. And you, I mean, Kilmarnock, of course, has problems previously with, uh, you know, when Steve Clark was there. Not so much after he left. Derek McInnes has caused the problems when he was with Aberdeen. It's it could be, you know, the, the combination of the two it, it does slightly make you think that tomorrow could be an awkward game when you consider where Rangers are at the moment. You know, they're not fluid. They don't look confident. Looks like there's one or two issues. 
So it could be a tricky game. Yeah, I have no illusions that it, it could be a tricky game. Um, they're also quite a physical team. I was talking to a Kamarnak fan earlier today, uh, and we have sort of, on a whole, sort of become a lesser equipped physical team, but a more technically based team this summer when we traded out Balogun, Ariba Bassi for Yilmaz, Lawrence and Davies. But I do think that even despite this perhaps physical dominance they might have, we are by far the better footballing team. I'm sure Alan Power will have a rapturous applause when he arrives and plays his pantomime villain after his sort of time at St. Mirren, but he's back at Killy. Um, I think obviously we mentioned that a few years back, Killy away was a treacherous journey. I think the best example was that uh, loss just after the, we signed the phone, Davis and Jordan Jones scores that screamer days after signing his pre-contract with Rangers. But I do think that side has been totally taken apart, both the identity of it and the actual personnel. And there's always the difficulty of playing on the plastic pitch in Kilmarnock, whereas Ibox, it's the beginning of the season, it's in a pristine condition and we'll have a full house cheering them on. I also am aware of the fact that it's perhaps uh, a cliche, but Kyle Lafferty, he is a dangerous forward, uh, one that sort of on profile might give our defenders uh, trouble because he's quite physical and he's smart, much like Joel Nublé, technically uh, solid as well. Um, and I think the, the nightmare for all Rangers fans is seeing Jordan Jones cut in and cross the ball to Lafferty, scoring a header, and then we have a reemergence of the discourse that we shouldn't have left, let Lafferty leave when he did and stuff like that. <laughs> I, don't, I don't think anyone's coming to that conclusion tomorrow, to be honest with you, Patrick. But for... <laughs> I hope not. I know, I know things are bad, but they're not that bad. I think I think that's the uh, the Celtic onlookers' dream when they're on uh, head goal or whatever watching, and then hopefully they'll think ten minutes in. But no, I think despite the uh, disappointment of Tuesday, this this perf- offers the perfect launching pad for us to go out there and sort of kickstart the season. Um, Kilmarnock are a decent side; they showed that against Dundee United, and they're equipped to come up well and sort of sit in, but. They're not of the quality in which we can't break them down and they certainly don't carry much up top, albeit mentioning both Jones and Lafferty can't be good on their day. They're wholly inconsistent and that's why they never were able to piece together a Rangers career. But I do think, given the fact that we might see Yilmaz from the start, Davies, hopefully Ken and Morales at some juncture, um, we have more than enough firepower uh, to sort of kickstart the season and given all, maybe not the bad energy, but the, the want for sort of to banish the bad thoughts of USG, we might see a dropping, hopefully. I remember we took, five, I think we took five off Kelly a few years ago. Morelos loves playing against them. Um, so this is all setting up to be a good performance, but there also is the, the alert, sort of an, uh, the other side of the knife in which we aren't playing exactly very well and they could cause us problems. Yeah, I mean, I mean, you've mentioned Jordan Jones there. You know, it, I mean, he's caused us problems in the past when he was at Kilmarnock. Uh, Kyle Lafferty, obviously, good player. Ollie Shaw, I think he scored a few last season when they were in the Championship, could cause us problems. One interesting thing I noticed today is their, their, their keeper, Zach Clemens, is out. So, you know, that that, that could obviously be seen as a, as a positive. On to the squad update, uh, I think the main news that came out today, it didn't seem to be a press conference today, it just seemed to be an interview uh, with RTV. Not quite sure what, what the script was there, but yeah, main development is, is Morelos is back in the squad and, and Gio seemed to hint that he would, he would definitely get some game time. So, I mean, that's great news. Obviously, that's great news. But, you know, I'm slightly concerned that despite the business we've done in the summer, we're still so reliant on Morelos. 
Yeah, you think we were literally six months without Morelos and we were able to fail relatively well without him. And then we brought in the striker, we brought in a right winger, uh, we brought in some more attacking artillery and we're still begging two games in to get Morelos back. Yeah. Which is always going to happen though because he's a great player. So there's two ways to look at it. Yeah. Uh, we want our best striker and arguably best player back, but then also we should be able to provide contingencies so that if he does miss another prolonged period, knock on wood, that doesn't happen, that we're prepared to do so. Uh, I would be very surprised if we see him from the start, as he hasn't played since that 2-1 win at Dundee, which must be over five months ago. Yeah, March was the last time he played, yeah. And I, I think the worst case scenario is that we bring him on prematurely chasing the game and he's forced in there and he is just either physically not there or he aggravates uh, his pre-existing injury. And I think for the good of Cholak as well, hopefully he'll have ample opportunity to score and then Morelos comes on for a runabout um, 30 minutes or so to get legs, uh, minutes in his legs for sh- Wednesday after Cholak's back the brace. Lawrence has got a goal and we're 4-0 up. Yeah, well, we'll see. Uh, there's also talk today that Kent uh, will probably be back tomorrow. So it does feel that, you know, one or two key players are coming back. Uh, I, I mean, I think it's fair to say that there will, there'll, there'll all be changes tomorrow. You know, I mean, I, I think in terms of the team sele- selection, I'm, I'm sort of looking at the possibilities today. You know, when you consider Yilmaz and Ben Davies came on uh, on Tuesday night there, when you consider the game that uh, both Sands and, and Borna produced on, on Tuesday night, I think there's a fair chance that those two might get a start tomorrow. Yeah, I think regardless of players now being fit or finally actually betting into both the Rangers squad and Scotland as a whole, there would be demand of changes after the sort of tepid display. But I do think both just naturally and conventional wisdom would suggest that Davies and Yilmaz have been signed to be starters. They're good enough to be there, especially uh, Yilmaz. So we need to get them in and bedded into the squad as soon as possible. Even if Borna and Sands have pulled off fantastic displays on, on, on midweek, there is a demand for them to get in there and get used to their teammates. Um, and, and I do think this is a great opportunity for both of them to bed in. Uh, it's both a classic welcome to Scottish football opponent with the sort of, lack of a better word, hammer throwers in the Achilles squad. But also we should have 60, 70% possession. And both of these guys, um, two of their best qualities are, are in possession. Davies is great in build-up, kind of provides m- not what exactly what Goldson has, but a bit of it uh, and something different. And then Ridvan's a fantastic outlet on the left. Should provide some actual threat, uh, symmetrical threat on the left side, which has been lacking. And it was always just having her take it up and play down the right so they'll have ample opportunity to, to dribble and pose himself in possession. Um, and I think if you don't play them this week, it, it, it's a tall ass to throw them in uh, at USG at home when we need a win. But these are professional footballers who combined cost almost £10 million. So I think regardless of who they play, they need to get in and show the money's worth and have every uh, bet that they will do so. Yeah, also in terms of the midfield three tomorrow, you know, I, I think we can all agree that you know, Lundstrom uh, and Jack sitting in those sort of holding positions and, and Kamara playing as almost like a number 10 on Tuesday night. I think we can all agree that it didn't work. And it's an accusation I've sort of read and heard a few people saying, you know, that they're quite similar. You know, there's, there's, they, they, they keep the ball very well, but they, they all lack that kind of ability to, you know, to get in behind and all that. So do you think there'll, there'll be a change in there tomorrow as well? I'm thinking maybe Tillman at number 10. Yeah, this is reminding me of the pre-pandemic discourse when it was Lundstrom, Davis, no, no, not Lundstrom, Davis, Kamara, Jack, 
yeah. when we lost, uh, I think, Hearts two weeks in a row in the league and in the cup. And I, it's fine in Europe. It worked really well when we were able to sit off and actually play in a defensive set, whether that be against Leipzig or Dortmund, where that double pivot is needed because we're coming up against a fantastic squad and, and be fantastic athletes. So we need defensive cover. But in a game like Kilmarnock especially, we should have at max one sitter. Um, I see a lot of people call for Stephen Davis, which I think makes sense. I think also people grow fond of what's absent and we haven't seen him play yet. But there's an actual very logical argument that we'll see a lot of the ball and Davis has by far and away the best passing range of any of our sort of sitting midfielders. Um, so I'd like to see him in there um, just as a sort of change up. I think Kamara should see the bench. I, I'm probably one of his biggest fans, but I think he's on back to back, put up slightly poor performances and, and a rest might be due. Um, and I think Tillman and maybe Lawrence, I think you could have two attacking eight slash tens in there because we need as many players who are going to add value in possession in the opposition half because the vast majority of the game is going to be played in and around the Killy penalty box, hopefully. So the idea of Davis and those two kind of provides a really nice continuity and we'll be able to progress the ball from our defence to the attack quite quickly. And that was completely absent against USG, although USG and Kelly are slightly different in quality. But I think whether it is personnel, I just don't think we can see two DMs play against Kilmarnock. And if we do, um, it's not time to start questioning the, the tactics of the squad and the system because they're, uh, they're paid to do so and they know a lot more than us. But it would become head-scratching why we need so much protection against a team who are, are newly promoted and are slightly uh, not even top-heavy. Uh, they carry most of their threat defensively quite compact. It does feel quite strange, Patrick. It's interesting to talk about that, you know, if, if it goes with two central midfielders tomorrow, you know, people will start questioning it. And it does feel already that, I don't want to say he's under pressure, uh, but considering he, he got us to a European final like 70 days ago or something like that, it does feel like he's under more of the spotlight than he should be considering what he done for us. Yeah, we're not Chelsea and this isn't Di Matteo in the Champions League and he's going to get sacked six months later because I think we have an air of sort of normality in Glasgow, albeit that's quite ironic saying it because it is a crazy football city. But no, I think it's the fact that even beyond the quarterfinals of the Europa League, everything, everything was a bonus and Von Bronckhorst improved domestically, but that he's mentioned himself, it's the bread and butter. It's the main goal of the squad is, is to win the, S, the SPL trophy and that's Simple, it's what we want. We want 56 emblazoned. European runs are fantastic and there's no downplaying that. Um, I wouldn't have traded anything last year probably for that, for that finals run. It was just this stuff of you get once in a generation, maybe once in a lifetime. Luckily, we've had two. We've been a bit spoiled. But yeah, there have been some concerns um, definitely from last year and they seem to have crept their way early uh, into the squad even this early on, which is fine because uh, it's early going. You can improve and means, uh, go on as you means to continue. But I would say it's, it's just natural, especially in Glasgow, if you have two bad performances and, and if you have a running of losses, there's always going to be pressure on the manager um, I think if he was to lose against Kilmarnock, which I think is maybe 1% chance, then there will be even more pressure. You might see murmurs of him wanting to be fired or sacked, but I think it's far too early to say that. But but I do think there's pressure on, but you wouldn't be playing football, especially no less for Rangers, if you didn't thrive under pressure or at least think that you can. Yeah, I mean, this is true. I also think part of the problem is, you know, because he, he done so well, you know, particularly getting to that European final, you know, and this perception that, Right, he's had he's had a, a a whole summer. He's got the players in that he wanted. Uh, he's, he's had time to implement his ideas. You know, I think there was this feeling that we would hit the ground running, and obviously that's not happened. And and so, 
some of the old doubts start to come to the fore again. But 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 hopefully we'll turn things around. Yeah, and then you, know, you look at why we beat we beat Dortmund, and then you're like, why can't we beat Livingston easier? And I think it's the fact that these are two different games. We we game plan differently. We play against different opponents, and we're more we're probably more comfortable being the underdog. The underdog, say. yeah. And then you question why are we unable to beat Killy five 0 but we beat Dortmund four two, and that's a valid question because. These are the same players, and if they're good players, they should be able to be versatile, play in different sort of systems and whatnot. But I think that is probably the overriding frustration is just how good we are on a Thursday night, but we are sort of inconsistent on a Saturday and a Sunday. Is it the old, I mean, we've, we've spoken about this a million times on, on, on the pod with this particular group, or, you know, a, a, a fair amount of them, you know, your Goldsons, uh, your Tavs, and, and, and all the boys that sort of, Came when, when Gerard came in, Kent, all those guys. Is it a mentality thing? You know, are, is it a, a case that they just sim- simply can't deal with the pressure, the expectation to win, but they can deal with the pressure of facing the biggest teams in Europe and and, and, and being, as you say, the underdog? Yeah, it, it might be. I think this discourse has run its time and there's been a, there's a thousand answers and each one of them has a grain of truth. But I think it'd be sort of hypocritical for us to sit here and not pretend that we get more pumped up for Dortmund on a Thursday than Libby on a Sunday. I certainly do so. And I think there's no point in lying about that. All games are exciting, but there is just something about it. But then again, I pay to go watch the football, whereas they're paid to play and they should be able to sort of maintain the intensity and not let it drop off. And I think if Sunday falls in line in as it has over the past few years, a number of times in which we're just unable to pick ourselves up, then serious questions will be asked. But I do think there is a sort of error of trying to beat what the status quo is saying. It's quite disappointing to lift up the crowd and to fundamentally send a message early in the season that we're not here to come second again, but rather we're here to win and, and pick up 56 and sort of replicate what we did two seasons ago domestically. And on that, on that uh, point, you know, the final comment in tonight, you know, three points are, are always vital, Patrick, but I think it would really help tomorrow if we got three points, but done it under a, a good performance, you know, a, a good scoreline, good performance, just settling a lot of nerves and, and sort of resetting the narrative a wee bit. Yeah, because I think the perfect example is that Livingston game. Um, it's the first game of the season, so it's a bit concerning that we only win 2-1. But if that game is played eight months in the future, in late April 2023, that's the sign of champions because we can grind out a result. So I think people obviously have high expectations coming into the season. It's a blank slate and they have every right to. And I do think just to settle the nerves both uh, on the fan side, and you have to expect some of the some of the personnel are going to be feeling slightly unconfident or an inability to sort of maintain their standards. They might think, oh, I'm not, I'm not playing up to my best. So I think a reminder to everyone, uh, their teammates, the staff, uh, the fans, and the greater footballing population in all of Scotland, uh, a marker needs to be set down tomorrow. Obviously, 5-0 would be perfect, but I think a scoreline that allows us to pick up three points and a performance that is reminiscent of our best on our GBB is a necessity. Yeah, I would agree. Yeah, I think it would just help. You know, I mean, the way I look at it, we've played, you know, four forty-five minutes of, of, of football this season and in three of them, you know, the, the first half in Levy and the two forty-fives over in Belgium we've been really poor. Uh, and, and then the second 45 at Levy, you know, we've done okay. We've certainly done enough to win the game. But even then, I felt we scored some chances. So I really, I, I just think, you know, a good performance with a couple of goals for Cholak stuff like that. just stuff to sort of settle the nerves and, and sort of reset the, the, the narrative a wee bit and, and put us in a good frame of mind uh, going into Tuesday night 
Yeah, I would love Cholak to bag a hat trick and so we can stop comparing him to Iten 2.0 in the second coming of Eduardo Pereira. <laughs> uh, again, people want to see their strikers hit the ground running and they saw him pretty much tear apart Rangers, I think almost 12 months ago. I think it was uh, five days from that top uh, in a year ago. Um, so people want to see him score. And I think no one wants to score more than he does and to open his account yeah. officially because he managed to get the goal against Spurs. He should have opened his account against Livingston as far as I've seen in all the replays. I think it's onside. Um, so it's a pity he hasn't officially opened that account for himself, but I, I back him to do it against Kilmarnock. And, and if he doesn't, so hopefully someone else does. Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll agree with that, Patrick. Uh, right, uh, a big thanks to Patrick for his, for his, for his comments here. Great stuff as always. Uh, before I go, I have to mention our, our final partners at Football Prizes. Uh, they're offering the chance to win uh, a stunning 21-22 Rangers squad signed in custom frame shirt. Uh, for £3.95. So there's 105 tickets left to buy at £3.95. If you want to get in that, get yourself on www.footballprizes.co.uk. Uh, right, guys, we were live tonight, as you might have guessed, with the two interlopers that came in earlier on in the pod there. Uh, but the pod will be available to download and stream uh, on a variety of platforms from tomorrow, including Acast, iTunes, YouTube, Castbox, Stitcher, Spotify, all your usual places. Big thanks to Patrick, as always, for his stuff, great stuff, as always. Uh, we'll have a show on Sunday night. Uh, I'm hosting, I think it's Ian Doff, and we have uh, a deputant in Craig. I can't remember his second name. Apologies, Craig. Uh, so get yourself on that, and obviously we'll be covering tomorrow's game. In the meantime, get yourself on to the Jersnet website and forums at www.jersnet.co.uk. And until Sunday night, guys, bye for now. <laughs>